Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast where every week we read all of the chapters from Shonen Jump on Viz's website, as well as another collected volume of manga. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. Except for this month where we're reading non-manga comic books, and we are reading traditional American superhero books. We read yep. Batman R.I.P. this week, but we will get to that after a very full Shonen Jump. Yep. What did you think of Shonen Jump this week, Kevin? I liked a lot of the stuff at the top. I actually sort of enjoyed some of the stuff in the middle, and then there was, like, again, a bunch of stuff at the bottom where, like, there were definitely big gradients. So I really enjoyed the top chapters and not necessarily as much else. Yeah, I would agree. I felt like the mid card was a bit lacking, and then the the bottom card, so to speak, was really weak, I felt, this week. Yeah. But we will get into it starting with a brand new series, Sakamoto Days Number 1, The Legendary Hitman. What did you think of this new series, Kevin? So, I'm already reading Spy X Family, so I, yeah. I was kind of like, eh, eh. There was some funny bits. crossover, huh? Yeah, I was like, there were some funny bits, but like you even have, oh yeah, his new uh, friend can read minds. And I was like, so it's I'm literally reading Spike's family, which is better because he's a spy, not a hitman. But because it's all being told in the perspective of like the five-year-old kid who can read minds. She's not five, she's 11 maybe. I think she uh but like Yeah, I, I can't it's remember. It's like her 11-year-old self trying to deal with these high concepts and she's just like, "Ah, you know, my dad's a superhero even though it's not actually her dad." But I mean, he adopted her. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. It gave me real strong John Wick vibes as well. I think that was probably more the influence than Spy X Family, and maybe there's a similar editor or something that was like, "Hey, why go you make this guy read minds?" I did like the joke where the guy who read minds goes to his boss to be like, ah, oh, don't kill Sakamoto. And then he's like, oh, I promise not to if you kill yourself. And then he's like, like, I, I would do that. And he's like, oh shit, I forgot he could read minds. <laughs> that was pretty good. I definitely <laughs> loved when, because the guy was going to do it. And so like it had, I agree it sort of had some John Wick vibes, but obviously none of the tragedy since uh, his wife no. and kid are still alive. Mm-hmm. So it's all right. Uh, but, you know, it is about a legendary hitman who is super good at it, who retired because he fell in love. There's just no dead dogs. Yep. There's no Theon Greyjoy here. Yep. I thought it was okay. It did yeah. literally start with a poop joke, which is, you know, always a good sign. I've said it before. I'm not editor-in-chief of Shonen Jump, but I think we have plenty of humor books. And while this definitely seems more in the vein of a mashal where it can do both, mm-hmm. I think more shonen stuff is the direction we need to go. That's what I'm looking for when I look at the new series. Although, I also understand dropping three of those at once is going to lessen the appeal of all of them. So, Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I agree. I did... I It was fine. Like, I enjoyed it, but I just had that. Yeah. I, I'm already reading Spy X Family and really loving it, so I kind of don't need another one. Next up, we have One Piece, Chapter 996, Island of the Strongest. One Piece continues to go at a pretty good pace. The only problem with One Piece right now is we don't get it every week, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. We had some really good, funny stuff here with Nami being like, Usopp, are you okay? Oh, of course you're not. Your skull is fractured. But let's focus on the positive. I'm fine. <laughs> Which was super good. 
Frankie, like, running into Yamato was also super good and be like, oh, are you an enemy? He's like, no, Luffy told me to save Momotaro. He's like, oh, then you must be my friend. Don't worry, I got this. <laughs> yes, I did really love that. Oh, you know Luffy? Sweet. Bam. <laughs> yeah, so it had some good moments, yeah. I also like Law kind of getting a little bit of focus here as we find out. Really, it seems like a reminder that he is also you know, got a middle initial of D. Yeah, he also has but, the will of D. But him going for the Poneglyph is interesting because that opens up the opportunity to this arc to go like the previous one and they don't beat Kaido but escape. I don't think that's the way it'll go, but yeah, that could lead to a really interesting climax where, the, you know, the Big Mom and Kaido Pirates and Luffy and Blackbeard and Shanks are all going after One Piece. Yeah, that could be kind of interesting. I don't think it'll go that direction, but it's certainly a possibility now. Speaking of, Big Mom is trying to get to Kaido. Yep. And kind of ignoring everyone on the way. Yes. She's Dynasty Warrior seeing her way up there. Yeah. W- which Luffy is trying to do, but he's only halfway there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good. Like One Piece always is. Nothing super yeah. special here. But I enjoyed it. Anything you wanted to add? That brings us to Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 40, Mash Burn Dead and the Candle's Flame. What did you think of Mashal this week, Kevin? I really liked Mashal this week. I just, I really liked the, you know, the step up in, yeah, Mashal has been found out that he doesn't have magic. And I kind of liked Mashal's response to that was like, well, I mean, magic is just doing something that doesn't seem physically possible, right? Watch this. And like, I like that, you know, they've got these, oh yeah, the the Divine Visionaries are coming to uh, take him out because he's a threat to society, but one of the Divine Visionaries has come ahead of them and is like, actually, this seems like a cool kid. Yeah, it's a pretty basic setup. The only thing I didn't like about it is that the one who comes ahead like sets up a challenge for Mashalov. Okay, light this candle without touching it, which he's able to do, which is cool. But then when everybody else is also coming, it kind of like... I feel like it robbed the dramatic energy from the chapter. Like, it's one of those few times where I think the cliffhanger worked against the rest of the chapter. I also enjoyed it, though. That's fair. I think it could be a really interesting thing with the rest of them show up, and he's like, nah, he's cool, he can do magic. Because he- Yeah, we'll see you next week. And I really loved the the panel of him lighting the candle. With him, he just takes, he was like, he took out a wand, and he's just literally fire starting, and he's rubbing the stick so fast, he creates these swaths of flame. That yeah. lights the candle. Like, that whole panel looked really cool. Yeah, no, I to- I definitely liked it as well. Yep. I just, like I said, robbed a little bit of the energy from it. I understand that. At the end, I felt there. Which brings us on to Chainsaw Man, Chapter 94, Chainsaw Man vs. the Weapon Humans. Speaking of uh, robbing the energy from something. Yeah. This is just a Chainsaw Man fight, and yep. you know, I think our opinions on those are eh. well-established. Yeah. And, like... There's some of the cool idea stuff in here, but nothing new. Yeah, really weird. I mean, I don't think I wouldn't even say weird. Just bad fight scene. Yeah, which I, is what I expect from a Chainsaw Man fight scene. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to breeze right through it, but the chapter is kind of a breeze to read. So, anything else you want to say on it? No. Okay, that will lead us into we never learn question one eighty three x equals the Queen of Thin Ice part six. What did you think of We Never Learned this week, Kevin? I really liked We Never Learned this week. I'm trying to remember exactly what happened in it. I liked it fairly well. It's the school festival again, because of course it is. 
Yeah. And Yugiya has promised basically all the students that he and Kirisu are going to help them so that she can have the experience of a high school festival. Because she, she missed never hers. got to yep. participate as a kid. And all of the teenage girls are super into appear super into Yugiya. I think it's less like the one in the previous arc. And it's more they just think he's a cool teacher. But there's certainly room for either interpretation. I got Go the feeling that they were kind of like wingmanning him, like they realized he was gunning after yeah. Kirisu. Kirisu. I was like, wow, I just totally blanked on her name. I think you're right, but last chapter we saw that Kirisu gets very jealous, so I think it's intentionally drawn in a way that you can draw either conclusion. Yes. And I just found it I just found it super cute. I just really liked everything about it and that kind of yeah, I'm going to give you the high school or I'm going to give you the high school festival that you never got. I liked it as well and you're right, it is very cute. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I do find it like this isn't out of character for Yu-Gi-Oh, but I felt like it was and I think what it really is is this is the way that Yu-Gi-Oh would act with his peers and it's weird for her to suddenly be his peer even though that is textually what has happened. Yep. It still feels kind of weird and off to me. That's fair. Still very good, though. I'm also excited for the uh, third times of the charm festival fireworks thing. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good thing to set up. And he can either swerve it or play it straight. And either way, it'll probably be good. I mean, we have, I would say, at minimum three more parts of this. So I feel like there has to be at least one more point of conflict. Yep. So quite enjoying We Never Learn. If you had, I mean, I knew you would like it. But if for some reason you had it, I probably would have taken the opposite stance and defended it. But... Like I said, just a little bit of awkwardness to it. Like, I feel like it should be more awkward for him to do this with Kirisu, I guess. Fair. Although, I still really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Anything you wanted to add? Nope. Alright, that will bring us to Build King Chapter 2, Nana and the House Beasts. I liked this chapter of Build King a lot more than the first one, honestly. Really? The the poop joke rated on me. Quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, that's super fair. I think I just, I like the idea of monsters that look like houses, and, like, this is a base for them. Like, this is the stuff I was hoping for, kind of, when, like, with the original premise. And, like I said, the first chapter kind of seemed like it would be more generic. Fair. And the idea that the back of his hammer repairs things is a very basic idea, but I like that. Like, it views one side for destruction and one for repair. That also opens up a lot of possibilities. I didn't love it. I just liked it more than the first chapter. That's totally fair. And I, I agree with you. I do like the the house monster being their base. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like any kind of, like, cool, ah, you know, that's kind of neat. Here's a poop joke, or I don't have my pants, or it's like, okay, we can stop with the poop. Nope, we're going to continue with the poop jokes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I find I need to use the restroom jokes funnier than there is poop here jokes. But Fair. you're certainly right. It is the same genre of humor. And it's not that I can't appreciate those jokes. It was just like, there were like six of them in the chapter. And I felt like that was a little much. <laughs> Anything else you wanted to add on it? I don't have a lot to say. Just that this chapter gave me more hope for the series than the first one did. Yeah, we'll see how chapter three goes. All right. That brings us on to Ayakashi Triangle, chapter 22, The Gift of Constant Change. What did you think of Ayakashi Triangle this week? I still liked Akashi Triangle. I liked the tension it was setting up between Suzu and Matsuri. And I liked the bit at the end where uh, Matsuri's yeah, like, I did too. Oh god, she saw both of them. 
Yeah, where she falls into his lap while he is accidentally takes off his pants uh, while he is a man, and then he transforms into a girl. Into a it's girl, pretty yeah. funny. Well, I really liked where he's I like, like, I the, before that where he's like, Suzu, I have to do something now that I I'm only a man, and Suzu's like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready. <laughs> the uh, the spirit king that I'm totally blanking on his name right now. Yeah, the cat. Shirogane, uh, who's like pressed. Like, this is not the time for cuddling. Yeah, when he's like pressed in between the two of them, he's like, knock it off! Just pops out <laughs> in between them. Really good. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I don't know that I have much more to say on it. Uh, it's funny. It sets up a good direction for the future. Yep. Um, it seems Ayakashi Triangle is better at Denouma than it is at Conclusion, so that's good. Yeah, because I don't really know that there's ever been an arc that needed a denouement like this. I guess kind of the one with the uh, painter guy had something sort similar. of. Yeah. Alrighty, that brings us to Doctor Stone Z equals 175 Ultra Race across South America, which is pretty Doctor Stone. It's got a really good ending panel. Yeah, it does. In which Bochi drives his heart out. And there's a good joke where they're making the tires, and Krem's like, now for me to pump them full of air with my lungs. And Sanku's like, no, we do have an air pump for that. <laughs> that was good. But but yeah, other than that, it's pretty much just Dr. Stone. So yeah, so still good, still enjoyable, just nothing special out of this chapter, except the that final panel, like you said. Alrighty. Last but not least, we have Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin, Depth 20, Apartment on Fire. Which, unfortunately, is not nearly as good as Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin was last week, but I still enjoyed it. No, it, it was not as good, but I, I did love bits of it, especially when they come to the police precinct and Chaco's like, you know, what are you all doing here? The apartment went kaboom! And uh, they ask Chaco, and they're like, can you please explain what happened? The apartment went kaboom. Can you not explain better than a five-year-old <laughs> child? <laughs> Also, you know, the setup going forward of them having, like, a mansion base that's been provided for them with them living together is interesting. Yep. There's potential there. And th the chapter was fairly funny, but, again, yeah. what, the humor has to get compared to last week, which was amazing. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind if Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin got serious again. I think two intermission chapters like this is good. And it's not like we've forgotten the plot that was going on before. Yeah, and like, but I would appreciate a, a shift back. I think. Well, and like you said, this is also a setup for them living together, which can change things. So, mm -hmm. yes. Anything else you want to say on it? Nope. All right, that brings us into jump card. Jump card is the segment where we rank everything that was in Shonen Jump this week, not just the stuff we talk about, from our least favorite up to our favorite. We had 21 full chapters this week. Mm -hmm. So what do you have all the way at number 21, Kevin? Have a gravity, boys. Same. I don't even remember what happened. I remember it being tiring. Yep. It has been a while since I read, but yeah, you don't care. Yeah. It came out on Friday last week, and yep. we, we were busy earlier this week. So what do you have at 21? 
High school family. Same. Can I remember what happened in that one? It wasn't a sister chapter. Oh, is it the, the volleyball? One where the mom was no oh, volleyball. Oh, you're right. It was the dad was last week chasing the around the volleyball guy. Yeah, which had some generic sports story stuff in it. It was okay. Yep, but it wasn't super funny. What do you have at number nineteen? Me and Robico. Same. Oh, this was the one with the chick who had a crush on his classmate. It yep. was okay. Yeah. The, the jokes wore a little faster than I would have liked, but it's a decent setup. Yep. What do you have at number 18? Our Blood Oath. Same. Bottom of the list, <laughs> four for four. Is it going to be the, the legendary exactly equal list? I, don't I highly so. doubt it, but we'll see. Yeah, I found the fight in Our Blood Oath to be really lame, and like I said, I just don't care about anything going on in it. Yep. What do you have at number 17? I have Mori King at 17. Okay, different. The eating contests, like, was sort of funny, but not really. So, it just, it's like, eh, whatever. Alright. I mean, that's super fair. I don't have it too much higher. Mm-hmm. But I have Phantom Seer at 17. Okay. I enjoyed this payoff. It just has to do with what we talked about last week. And the dynamic shifts between the two characters, I think, too quickly. Yeah. Like, I, I like Abetsu a lot more than Iori, but... It seems like it should be a slightly slower progression to her. Like, she should have to do something to earn his trust at a dramatic moment, right? Yeah. Again, I I like it a lot more than our Blood Oath, which is right under it, but... Yep. Not super into it. What do you have at 16? Phantom Seer. Gotcha. Not much else to say, really. That's where I put Chainsaw Man. Okay. Again, just fight scene, and I wasn't super into it. Yeah, fair. What do you have at 15? I build King at 15. Okay. Like I said, the poop joke just wore on me. Mm, I mean, super fair. That's where I put Mori King. Okay. I liked it more than the dumb fight in Chainsaw Man or the problems in Phantom Seer. I, I agree with you. It wasn't, like, hilarious. Mm-hmm. What do you have at 14? Chainsaw Man. Ah. So. We're still, still very close. <laughs> yep. That's where I put Sakamoto Days. Okay. I didn't hate it. It just it didn't do much for me. It wasn't as funny as... Some of the other comedy stuff, and by some of, I mean the one comedy chapter I put above it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what do you have at 13? Uh, Magu-chan. Same. It's a decently cute Magu-chan story. I think it's funny that I'm actually enjoying the quote-unquote B-team more than the main characters. I mean, the title character is in here yes. being important, so I don't know if I would call it the B-team exactly. It just it seemed like, like it was going to be about Ruria's Arukia's adventures with dealing with Magachan, and it's kind of starting to shift towards well, let's just hang out with the cool evil gods, and I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah, I would agree with that. What do you have at number twelve? At Black Clover at twelve. Okay, I expected you to put that higher. Honestly, <laughs> I don't have it much higher myself. Yeah, it was just the. The training thing. So Yeah. It's not great. It's very tropey, right? Of, yep. oh, I'll have to kill you. And they're like, oh no. Now that their back's against the wall, we'll have to do the thing. Yeah. I have Hell's Paradise at 12. Okay. I enjoyed it. Just like the, the, the majority of the chapter being silent, I didn't think served it very well. I get it. It's fight scene. It's not like there should have been a lot of dialogue. But it made the emotional bit at the end not quite land for me the way I think it was supposed to. 
Yeah, it, that one actually went much higher for me, and I could see that being a... Yeah. Like they mentioned in Bakuman, uh, textless chapters are hard, and I think there's like six lines in this entire chapter, and it's in the first five pages. Yeah, it's not actually textless, but by the, because it's all so front-loaded, by the time you get to the end, it feels like it was. Yeah, like the majority of it is textless. And I can see it much going much higher as well if mm-hmm. that landed because it's a big deal. Yep. But it didn't for me, and it's a kind of like I said, it's a big deal. So when a big deal doesn't land, that hurts your chapter. Yep. What do you have at eleven? Undead and luck. I did like the bit of backstory into Andy and kind of like the reason why he suppresses his memories and acts the way he does, and it's that the problem with being immortal is that everyone else around you dies. Mm-hmm. And it's demonstrated. It's it's a show don't tell thing. Like it is told, not shown. That's why I have it higher because mm-hmm. I actually thought it was a good little story. Fair. Even though, like, it's a thing where I'm not super excited for the future direction of Undead and Lock. And by the future, I mean the near future. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was pretty good. I have Black Clover at eleven. Okay. Didn't like it tremendously more than you. I didn't think it was good. I just like I kind of said I felt it was kind of a weak Shonen Jump. So. It still went almost in the middle. Fair. What What do you have at 10? A second mode of days at 10. It was okay for a first chapter. Like I said, it. I had the... I'm reading Spike's family, but slightly differently. But I do like the pudgy, overweight hitman who's still, like, mostly actually in shape kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. it seemed pretty funny. I got Build King at 10. Okay. Like I said... More excited for it now than I was last week, but that mm-hmm. didn't blow my socks off. What do you have at number nine? Dr. Stone. It was a Dr. Stone chapter, so sort of yeah, in the middle. I, I just nodded at you and you couldn't see it because <laughs> I'm miles away from you. I got Jujutsu Kaisen at nine. Okay. And now I'm trying to remember exactly what happened in it. A fight scene I remember liking, but... I'm blanking on Toto? Yeah, Toto lost one of his hands. He's got... Yeah, that seems right. I thought that happened at the end of last chapter, but I might be misremembering. I, th- I, I didn't. I wanted to not say that because I thought it was the chapter before this one, I'm, but I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure it was this chapter where he lost one of his hands, but then does a cool thing where he claps with the bad guy to get them to mm-hmm. switch, and he, like that's how he tags in Itadori. Mm-hmm. I had it at number eight, so... That's I, where I put Dr. Stone. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen was pretty good, though, so... Yeah. Still liking the anime. Toto actually just showed up in the anime. I should catch up on that. I'm two or three episodes behind. I'm just behind on all my sh- uh, all my shows, period. Not just yeah, the anime. Yeah, fair. What do you have at number seven? Hardboard Cop and Dolphin. It was pretty funny. A bit of a drop from last week's chapter, but I still laughed at bits of it. Uh-huh. Uh, that's where I put Mashal. Okay. I enjoyed it, but like I said, it felt like the ending kind of robbed some of the tension from it fair what do you have at number six i have one piece at number six good chapter of one piece nothing special though so it didn't go particularly high yeah i i definitely agree with your assessment but i have it much higher i because i think i valued a lot of the stuff in shonen jump this week less than you fair i got hard-boiled cough and dolphin at six similar to mashal and that it was funny and good but th- the main difference was that i thought the cliffhanger added and made me excited for next week, where Mashal, like I said, it kind of took away from the story. Mm. What do you have at number five? That's where I put Hell's Paradise. I I just, I liked the textless bit. I think it landed very well, and 
I liked a lot of the artwork in it. So that was one of those that actually like, especially cause we were literally just talking about in Bakuman, the, him doing the textless chapter, um, mm-hmm. made me think about that and go, I, this, this did pretty well. <laughs> That's where I put undead on luck. Like I said, the, the little tragic story, it's, you know, pretty cliche, but I thought it worked. Mm-hmm. What do you have at number four? I have Ayakashi Triangle at number four. Fun shenanigans. It was good. Yeah, it was. That's where I put Mission Yozakura Family. Okay. It's kind of just a cute chapter, right? Yep. But we've been missing those. I was thinking about that maid character and how we haven't seen her in a while, so it was nice to have her back. Yep. It was just very cute and sweet, but I didn't think it was as, I guess, as cute as the t- some of the stuff above it that was more romantic-leaning. Fair. What do you have at three? I have Mashal at three. Like I said, I really liked the chapter. I liked the... I really liked that panel of him lighting the candle from a distance and mm-hmm. doing it with his superhuman strength. And it was like, look, I can do magic. <laughs> I, I actually try and go at three. Okay. I really like the bits between Suzu and Mitsuri and like the humor also really landed. Mm-hmm. All of it really came together. What do you have at number two? That's where I put Mission Yuzakura. I mm-hmm. really liked the cute baby Tayo chapter. Just especially like you said, when the maid showed up. You know, it's like, hey, we haven't seen her in a while. She's basically like, hey, I haven't been here a while. And she sees baby Tayo and just falls unconscious. The plot of that one is that uh, Tayo got hurt, so he needs medicine. And he gets medicine that turns him into a baby. And everyone's like, oh, God, a cute baby. Yep. Uh, And so, like, the the family hijinks. I I especially love the the older brother where they're like, oh, man, baby Tayo doesn't work on the older brother. And it's like, yes, he does. Look, he's broken. And he's just, like, standing there. (laughs) And then the end where uh, Baby Tayo sleeps with Mitsumi and then wakes up as regular Tayo. Mm-hmm. And so Tayo is freaking yeah. out because he's in Mitsumi's bed. And she's like, Tayo, calm down. You, nothing happened. Also, we're married. So if it did, it would be fine. It has strange parallels to kind of what's going on in Twin Star Exorcists right now, which is something I got. I was a couple of chapters behind. I should just catch up on everything because I, I, I pulled up Kaiju number eight, but I haven't read it. That's basically what I, I did. I do a bunch of podcast editing today. Yeah, so that's, that's what I did like, opportunity. I think Sunday, because I had read all this stuff earlier and I was like, all right, well, I'll get caught up on all my monthlies. And I I was like two chapters behind on all the monthlies. I had a couple of chapters of Spike's family to catch up on. And so, you know, got caught up on everything. But Twin Star Exorcist has the thing where they're like, we're married, but we haven't done anything yet. Because they were like yeah. engaged at the start of the series as like fourteen-year-old kids. That's super common in shonen stuff because it tends to be not sexless, especially when they, like, when you look at Ayakashi Triangle. That's not sexless at all. But there is sort of you know, and this is true in American culture as well, but to a different degree. That taboo against sex, especially in younger characters. Yep, which is fair. Yeah, it's just funny and. Twinster Exorcist, because they're literally supposed to birth the person who is going to save the world from evil. They can do that tomorrow. Actually, one of their one of the things that happens with them is they both decide we're not raising a kid in this kind of world, so we're going to cleanse the world first. Like that's their plan. <laughs> he just metaphorically saves the world. The idea of him saves the world, or her. Uh, specifically, I it's supposed the to be unborn child's gender. Well. Specifically, they are like literally supposed to be the greatest exorcist, be born as the greatest exorcist of all time to actually exercise all the evil spirits. But 
that's gotcha. getting deeper into that. Uh, so what did you um, have in number I get two? we never learned it to. Okay. Like I said, I enjoyed it. It was cute. There were just a few things that nagged me about it, which is why it didn't get the number one spot. Fair. I put it over Ayakashi Triangle and Mission Yuzakura, which also had mm-hmm. very, very cute moments, though. Yeah, so I had it as my number one. I thought it was super cute. Really liked the school festival stuff and really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I have One Piece at one. I agree that it's just bit kind of basic One Piece, but I didn't think anything went above it. And also, part of it is probably that Frankie and Law are some of my favorite characters, and they got screen mm-hmm. time here. So that probably did bump it up a little above a average chapter of One Piece. But Fair. I put it, you know, at, at the top pretty early, expecting something would beat it out, and nothing did. Fair. All right. Anything else you want to say about Shonen Jump this week? Nope. All right. Well, we read Batman, R.I.P., and we will be back to talk about that after the break. read batman r.i.p this week which is man it's a it's a almost 15 years old now it is almost an old batman story which makes sense because it gets referenced quite a bit now what did you think of it kevin oh sorry you just the 15 years old threw me for a loop because we read the deluxe edition which was printed in 2010 uh the the comics ran in 2008 and i was thinking 2007 this story came out at the same time that the dark knight came out Mm -hmm. anyway I liked it. I like the mental battle. Like, this is basically an entire mental battle for Batman, which is really cool. I like the, what's his name, Bat Imp? What is, Batmite. That's Batmite, thank you. Showing up. I was like, ah, I recognize who that is. And I like how, like, for most of the comic, he's like, he's paying attention to him and, and ignoring him at the same time. Yeah, this is by Grant Morrison, with art by Tony Daniel. Grant Morrison is my favorite comic book writer, but he's incredibly polarizing, mm-hmm. because he doesn't usually like stop to explain what's going on, which some people really, really like, but he also tends to write very high-concept, weird comics, so yes. some people find them very hard to follow. I totally understand that. Like I said, this being a whole mental battle thing, um, a lot of the symbolism being set up, even in early chapters, I like at one point the Joker even comments on that. He was like, what, you thought symbols and hints and metaphors would lead you to the depths of the abyss that I'm in? It's like, no, that's just pop psychology, Batman. <laughs> yeah, like, I really like that. I also like, this is the, like, a, a lot of the thing was, Batman was basically like, there's basically only so many ways that I can be killed. So, oh God, yeah, th- that that bit where he climbs out of the coffin, yeah, where he's straight jackets kindergarten, blocks too, bench pressing a coffin lid with under six hundred pounds of dirt, that's hard, but not, but impossible. not impossible. Yeah, I oh that that bit's really good, but I like the bit leading up to that where it's the the like journal Him entries. And Nanda Parbat. Well, no, oh. the journal entries into the the black case files or whatever. So it's like written on like lined paper as opposed to regular speech Mm -hmm. bubbles and it's him talking about it was like just before that bit where he was like there's basically only so many ways that i can be killed so i just 
you know, the it's like the wise man, the wisest man prepares for all eventualities and guards against them. And so that's mm-hmm. what Batman has done. Yeah. And Grant Morrison is kind of responsible for the idea of Batman as the person who plans for everything, even mm-hmm. before this. I'm glad you liked it, because like I think I told you, this is my favorite Batman story. Mm-hmm. But it's by Grant Morrison, which has some weird stuff. It's also the conclusion of the first part of Grant Morrison's run. So, like, the Black Glove are running antagonists throughout it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of dropped you into the conclusion, you know, he's got his love interest, Jezebel Jett, here, who was established previously. The Club of Heroes show up only for a bit, but again, they were established previously. Yep. It's a lot of payoffs that wouldn't necessarily be found on a new reader. But there's also stuff in here, like, this is not to the same degree as Watchmen, but one of the great things about Watchmen is that every time you read it, you notice new stuff. And I find that true of Batman R.I.P. as well. In particular, I love the fact that at the very beginning, when they're chasing that, like, wannabe criminal, basically, who's just, like, got a Halloween costume and is like, I'll just plead insane and they'll put me in Arkham. They save a homeless guy and give him some money, who is the homeless guy that Bruce Wayne runs into later. Yep. I like little things like that. And you mentioning Watchmen did remind me of Watchmen, and I also read the DC Watchmen crossover has a lot of that cerebral high concept stuff going on where it's not Superman punching out the bad guys, you know, it's yeah. Them having to deal with, you know, in the Superman in the crossover, there's this uh, conspiracy theory that the government has been making superpowered people to use as weapons to help fund their political agendas. Like, Oh yeah, we made, we made Superman and then, or not Superman, but you know, we made, this guy and like sent him in to this thing and he caused a natural disaster. And then we were like, Hey, look, this is what we need to do to gain more political power. It also just speaking on the art. I really do like the art. Although the colors are very flat, which is fine. That's what they're going for. There's a black and red motif throughout them. Yeah. For that's It's interesting to hear you say that just because it's drawn by Tony Daniel. I really like Tony Daniel Zart today. I really wish that anybody who worked with Grant Morrison would redraw Batman R.I.P., including Tony Daniel today. I think that would be fine. I think it just suffers a lot in comparison to the artist that was right before him and Adam Kubert, who's great, and Frank Quitely, an all-time legend, came right after him. Mm -hmm. It's not bad art. There's just a lot of weird panel breaks and stuff that's a little imperfect, but there's also some really good stuff. Like that first panel with Batmite. I love that. Some of the Batmobile stuff is super good. Yeah. And I was just specifically looking at, because it's a comic book, so the the colors are flat, because there's not, especially because they're, you know, these were run print, you didn't have layers and layers that you could do digital paintings with nowadays that make stuff super easy, where it's like, all right, yeah, so I make the flat colors, then I shade, then I highlight, then I shade again, and then I highlight again, you know, and I, I just keep adding details, and I can literally just put layer upon layer upon layer that would be basically impossible to do for a print publication. Well, not necessarily, Mm -hmm. but especially I I was going to say at the time, which is not true at all, but since they're going for it was not that long ago. Yeah. But I was thinking because this is how comic books were done initially, you know, there wasn't Adobe Photoshop. You could not make seven layers. Like I see how I've seen how people do drawings nowadays where they're literally like yeah i have my lines and i make that a layer and then i can literally so it's like i can literally 
have seven pieces of translucent paper that I just keep painting more stuff on and then take the final picture of that. Mm-hmm. Rather than having to design everything at once, basically. Yeah. I'm really glad you liked it, because I almost thought you might not. Uh, part of the reason I ended up picking this was, like I said, it's my favorite. And a lot of times when you like stuff, I kind of take it down. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to do the same. Most of the reason but, for that is I tend to like a lot more stuff than you. I'm, that's I will call you true. Picky. I am the more critical of us. Yep. But yeah, I actually do like this high concept stuff, especially like every now and again. Like... This isn't something that I'd want to be reading all the time, but it is great to go into, you know, it's uh, this kind of stuff, reading Watchmen, watching some of those, I call them the uh, the Award Chaser movies, mm-hmm. I have to be, like, in a mood for, because they're, like, they'll go in for, you know, high cinematography or stuff like that, and sometimes that, to me, is hard to enjoy every day, versus, like, a comedy, I can plug in and as long as i find it funny it's just like yeah i watched a comedy it was funny it was great versus some of these where i have to like think i have to want to be in the mood to think mm-hmm. it's just in addition to all that which is true of batman r.i.p it's also like i said dropping you smack dab in the middle of batman continuity american comics are forever going and grant morrison when he took over batman decided that he was going to take the approach that everything was canon mm-hmm. that the, the black casebook stuff a lot of that is references to stories from the Silver Age, like the stories where Batman went to another planet, where there was another Batman. And on that planet, Batman, regular Batman had all the powers of Superman, the Batman of Azurar, who in this story is it, it gets recontextualized as a backup personality for Batman for if he gets hypnotized into forgetting he's Batman. Yep. Uh, and he literally takes a baseball bat and beats the crap out of people because he's Batman. Yep. And then we also had the two stories after, or I guess the one story after that. It's two issues. It is two issues, but it's one, they're, they're like another side story. Yeah. I was going to say, this is also weird, because Batman R.I.P., if you were to continue reading Grant Morrison's Batman story, the next Grant Morrison Batman story is Dick Grayson as Robin with Damian Wayne as Batman, because Batman dies in Final Crisis, which was also written by Grant Morrison, but is separate from Batman R.I.P., which is another super weird thing about American comic books. Yeah. And this final story takes place during Final Crisis, although you don't really need that context to enjoy it, I don't think. No. Because it is part, it's a wonderful life, part just a retelling of Batman's history as Grant Morrison sees it, which is more or less how I see the history of Batman. Fair. Yeah, and I did like it, and even though there's a lot of payoff and setup stuff, because this is a high concept making you think thing, and he does a good enough job, or he does a very good job of giving you contextual clues to get these payoffs even inside of the comic itself. It's super interesting to hear you say that, just because the common criticism of Grant Morrison is that he's terrible at doing that. <laughs> I agree with you, though, especially in Batman R.I.P. It's just interesting to hear you say that, yeah. when I know you have no dog in the Grant Morrison fight. Yeah, that well, because, like I said, I understood the payoff stuff. Like, you know, Club of Superheroes or whatever it was called. Yeah. They have that little thing where the two of them talking about it before they show up. So I was like, oh, I kind of under... Knight and Squire being like, oh, Club of Villains, can't have that, can we, eh? Yeah. Can we chap? Yeah, so it's like, I I understand stuff going on, and... 
and you're familiar with Damian Wayne. So yes. when he shows up, you're not like, who is this kid? Yes. So I have I have some background in Batman lore. So I understand a lot about stuff. Maybe not specifically this Bat- Batman story, mm-hmm. but I'm not completely stumped when Nightwing shows up or Damian Wayne shows up. Like, who's this guy? Yeah. Like, I'd know who that is. And when the bad guy is in the Batcave wearing the Bat costume that Bruce Wayne's dad wore in that one old Silver Age issue where Bruce Wayne's dad wore a Bat costume to a Halloween party and solved a murder. You probably don't know that, but like the visuals are enough to kind of hint you in on what's going yeah, on, right? Yeah, I, I did a bit of looking up in Simon Hurt to figure out, because uh, with him claiming, like, I am Thomas Wayne, which is, yeah. I guess, technically Simon true. Hurt's a super interesting villain. I wish he, like someone other than Grant Morrison, would do a Simon Hurt story. I wanted to talk about this. When Grant Morrison was writing this story, he like kind of pitched it and wrote it as Batman versus the literal devil, with Simon Hurt being the devil. Mm-hmm. A- as time went on, Grant Morrison gave him a different backstory, and he's got it all, his whole deal as it plays out in future stories. But especially when I'm reading Batman R.I.P., that's how I like to read Simon Hurt. Especially for that scene where the Joker shows up and says, no, you're the old bad guy. Like, people are afraid of me now. And I'm going to bet all of your lives that Batman's going to tear himself out of his grave and beat the shit out of all of you. So I'm leaving before that. Ciao. Yep. And then Batman digs his way out of his grave and beats the shit out of all of them. Yeah, no, it's very good. I did I did like the Joker in this. I really liked, you know, the, the sequence where Batman is with him and he was like what did you think we were going to team up to beat down the new young punks (laughs) yeah i love but but, both joker and lex Luthor. they're such pervasive characters i love when they get used not as the main villain but as like a supporting antagonist in a way yeah the joker is so overwhelming that very very rarely does that work out and this is one of the stories where it does perfectly yeah i think it works better with lex Oh, yeah, because Lex Luthor was in that role for 10 years, and that's all he did. Mm -hmm. But I like it with the Joker, too, and very few writers have pulled it off successfully, and this is one of the stories where it happens. There's also, not to go too on in other stories, but the rest of Grant Morrison's run, like, there's the idea that the Joker only cares about Bruce Wayne, so he's kind of like a supporting character for Dick Dick Grayson, like, just feeding him information on the Black Glove, because the Joker wants to take them all out. Mm Mm-hmm. I really like, like I said, Grant Morrison's my favorite comic book writer, and this is my favorite Batman story, so I really, really like it. This is also the story where Batman gets shot up on heroin, loses all his money, uh, has to run around as a hobo for a while, and punches out a helicopter. Yep. Which is all great. All of those things happened. I also really like, Tim Drake isn't in this story much, but he's, like, the whole story is him being, is people being like, ah, Robin will be easy to kidnap, let's just grab him. And Tim Drake owning fools who assume yep. that he's just gonna get caught. Yeah, that was very good. I also really loved, there's a couple of scenes with the mime fighting that just have blank speech bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. Like, just that... Yeah, that, that's a vi- Yeah, just that little nod to, he's a mime, he doesn't say anything, but he's got speech bubbles, because it's a comic book. That's a gr- very Grant Morrison idea there. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about it? Like I said, it's my favorite Batman story. I wouldn't necessarily recommend you just start with it. Grant Morrison's run leading up to it is a lot more typical. Some Grant Morrison fans actually kind of criticized him as just telling very generic Batman stories early on. Gotcha. 
And, you know, his whole run up to this is just three stories, so you can get it pretty cheaply. But it is my favorite Batman comic, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, Kevin. Yeah, it was good. All right. We're not putting Batman on personality power level asterisk until we read uh, Batmanga, in which at which point we will put that version of Batman on the list. But this version yep. of Batman is not that version of Batman, even though he does eventually fight that, ver- uh, that version of Batman's fa- most famous enemy. <laughs> Lord Deathman. Yep. Everybody's favorite. He's got a secret yoga method. So thank you very much for indulging us this month when we've read some non-manga. Next week, we will be back with Bakuman. Yep. Until then, our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fistfight by Tom W. Emerit. Other music on the show is by Spectacular Sound Productions. And our album art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. www.lastpodcast.com is our website where you can check out my other podcasts, even though both of them are sort of on hiatus right now due to COVID-19. You can also join our Discord there if you want to talk about Batman or manga or just about anything else. Anything you'd like to plug this week, Kevin? Nope. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had. This episode will come out afterwards, so I probably should have said that last episode. Oh, well. Stop.